Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. It's the podcast that's all about the cuisine that is said to have founded modern cooking. French ingredients and dishes have been the starting block for many of the world's best chefs and cooks. On Fabulously Delicious, you'll learn all about those dishes and ingredients, as well as get to know more about fabulous French foodies. I'm your host, Andrew Pryor. Enchanté. Enchanté. Ten years ago, my life changed when I competed on MasterChef Australia, and now I'm living my best French life in the French countryside. My life is all about cooking, eating, and living life the best way I can. I love meeting wonderful food producers, chefs, home cooks, drinking amazing wines, eating some of the over 1,500, would you believe, French cheeses, and sharing these fabulous experiences with you, my fabulously delicious audience. I hope you're enjoying them. Today, I'm having a chat with a wonderful and fabulous, of course, French chef based in Sydney. Originally from Lyon, he moved to Australia at a young age with his family who have patisseries in Australia. Then he moved back to France to start his chef career. And then, of course, moved back to Australia, where he has a family and runs successful French restaurants. Sebastian is a great example of how French food can influence your life and how some of the founding fathers of French cuisine can influence a career. Sit back, turn up the volume. If you're not driving, pour yourself a glass of wine, break a baguette, add a bit of saucisson maybe, some delicious cheese, and enjoy today's episode of Fabulously Delicious, a French chef profile, Sébastien Latoute. Sebastian, thanks for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Normally, I'd start by talking about, you know, your food influences when you were growing up, etc. Especially, you know, and I would we'd talk about French food, uh, which I know that you love, and that's part of the reason why you're here. But I noticed when I was doing a bit of a deep dive into your career, that you've actually had the chance to work at one of my favourite restaurants in Sydney, uh, which is Tetsuya's. So for the listeners who don't know, can you tell us about what Tetsuya's is like? Tetsuya's is, is one of the, probably the, the most renowned, one of the most renowned restaurants in Sydney, Australia. Um, Tetsuya's been around for, I think, over 20 years now. Um, and it sort of started when I was an apprentice. Um, he was probably... Sydney's or Australia's best restaurant at the time and as an apprentice obviously you're always trying to work with these great chefs and where I was working at the time at Ampersand there was a Japanese chef called Haru and I said oh I'm really interested in Tetsuya so I went there for dinner first he got me a table because at the time getting a table was quite hard there's only 60 covers and they were fully booked three months in advance so I was pretty lucky to, to get a table at the time and then obviously after having dined there, I said, oh, I actually really want to go work there because I was really interested in the Japanese flavors and the style of cooking. So he got me a job there and within, I think, a month or two, I started, um, which was great. Um, what really inspired me was obviously he was cooking with sort of French techniques, but using Japanese ingredients. Um, that for me was something I really wanted to learn about. And I think using and Understanding the balance of those kind of flavors was, for me, the, the prime primary reason I went there um, to work at Tetsuya's. So it's named after the chef there, Tetsuya. So what's he like? Oh, he. So at the time, I was pretty lucky. I think I worked at the old. So there's a, there's also a new Tetsuya's that's been around for I don't know how long, over ten years. It's in Kent Street, but the old one was in Roselle, and it was like pretty much in a house. 
there's only 60 covers and there's only six chefs where I think the new one probably has over 12 to 20 chefs depending on the time but um so I was quite lucky enough that he was quite present he didn't have any restaurants overseas so he was quite present in the kitchen um he was just amazing to work with and so was his team at the time we had some really talented people in the team so I think I was quite lucky to be able to work in that era of uh, Tetsuya still being in the kitchen and him still having people that worked for him from day one. It was people that were with him for like around six years. Um, so I think I was quite lucky to work in that era of the old Tetsuya's restaurant. Um, for me, his, his knowledge and what really impressed me about him was just how he was able to balance flavours and so subtle. Like his palate was just, insane just the way he just balanced the sweetness the sourness the, the saltiness everything for me was just like the highlight was he was he's a great chef technically as well but i think his palate was the way he matched flavors for me was my highlight it was one of the on the list of best restaurants in the world uh what pressure do you think that that has to the work experience there for the people working in the restaurant at the time oh i think first of all i think you've got an, the pressure is I think you're lucky enough to have a position in the kitchen or in the front of house, I think, because there's people, I remember at the time, there were people coming from overseas sending CVs because they were working at El Bulli or whatsoever and wanted to come at Tetsuya. So to already be part of the team, I think we were just lucky, but also the pressure was extreme to serve everything the same every single day. The standard was quite high. And obviously being a testing, uh, a tasting menu, of oh, I don't know how many courses I can't remember, but it would have been over twelve or thirteen courses. Every single one of them was detailed and it was always the same. If it wasn't right, you wouldn't send it. I was very fortunate to go there, and it was the place that I learnt not to get the matching wines uh, with the courses, um, just because as an Australian, I had to drink all of the wine. You know, so it was a, a very memorable night for all the wrong reasons i will say my second food love after french of course but we won't tell um french cuisine this uh would be japanese uh, do you see any similarities with japanese and french cuisine yeah i do i think i think the respect of the products i think especially working in sort of french mid restaurants i think the japanese have the same respect of seasons or produce where it comes from or how it's been treated. I think for me, that's probably the closest thing, first of all, that connects to me with Japanese food is how seafood's respected or just any ingredient the Japanese seem to respect things. I think, you know, if you look at the full process or how soy sauce is done, it sort of reminds me of how the French would make wine and they stick to the same routines or same recipes. And from tradition to tradition, it stays the same, doesn't, you know, you pass it on to your son and it's done the same way. I think the Japanese will treat a lot of the things they do very similar to the French. So they have a very similar philosophy, I think. Now, uh, Sebastian, can I call you Seb? Yeah, of course, please do. Is that what all the Aussies do? Um, let's talk about you a bit. Uh, you were born in France but moved to Australia when you were eight. Whereabouts did you live in France before going to Australia? So I grew up in a small town called uh, Saint-Chamond, which is about 50 k's away from probably the biggest town, which is Lyon or saint etienne nearby. So Lyon, most people I think will, will know where Lyon is. 
Um, but yeah, I grew up in Sashamal. My uh, dad's a, obviously, I grew up in a pastry shop. My dad's a pastry chef. My mum was running the front of house, and I was living up, I grew up upstairs. So basically, my dad was downstairs baking every morning, and I'd get up and uh, go steal some chocolate croissants or whatever I could. But um, that's sort of my childhood, um, you know, obviously, growing up in a pastry shop in France. Fabulous. Yeah. Is that what uh, it gave you an influence in into working into French food, do you think, or working in, in the food industry? Yeah, I think 100%. At first, I wanted to become a pastry chef. I think I just wanted to follow my dad's footsteps. But having moved to Australia and my dad obviously been working in pastry areas and hotels or in known shops and stuff, he realised at the time probably that the stand wasn't what it was in France. So he sort of Need me to more to become a chef rather than to to become a pastry chef. Um, yeah, so I just maybe that's how I got steered into cooking as a chef, not as a pastry chef. Right, that's interesting. So you think that at that time when your dad moved you all to Australia, it wasn't at that standard? No, people didn't know what macaroons were, didn't know what financiers were, or things like that. Even croissants, like you, you probably wouldn't see many of them, and if you did see them, they were really flat <laughs> and squashed and just not not done in the right way. Look, I suppose it's probably like in, in the early 2000s, I think you really started seeing these amazing pastry chefs in hotels or people opening some great, I think Adrian Zombo was like one of those first to start doing macaroons in Sydney and they, they were amazing, I think, what they did. But it was just, I think, a lot later than what France was. I think, my, you know, when my dad was had a shop in, in like 95, 96, if he did what he did now, it'd probably be, he'd probably be doing really well. But back then, it didn't really work. Uh, I find it hard to remember anything before the age of 21. So I know this might be a tough question, but maybe you didn't do as much partying as me. So you might be okay. But your childhood in France, what do you remember about that time? Oh, look, my childhood in France, obviously, I was, oh, how old was I? So I, grew, I left there when I was eight. My childhood of friends, probably memories of probably lots of family time. I did schooling. I did a fair bit of schooling, like till Sam, Sam Trois, I think it's called in French. So that's probably year four. So I did that in, in France. But for me, the biggest memories of probably France is probably the family time. I don't have that here. I've only got, um, I'm by myself here. My parents are back in France and my brother's in Switzerland. But, I, you know, I had aunties and cousins and stuff so we always spend time as a family so it's probably my biggest memory is just spending time as a kid with the family and cousins and, and friends. Why did your parents move to Australia? Uh, they were given uh, an option to potentially do, my dad was given an option to either go to Canada or Sydney. Um, he knew a few people in Sydney and that's when they just made a choice to come to Sydney for a change of life I think and um, yeah my dad I think within a year or two managed to open like a pastry shop was more like a chocolate shop first to do some chocolates, handwork chocolates. Um, and then that obviously didn't really work out. And then he was just um, became sort of pastry chef in some of the big hotels. Whereabouts in Sydney did you grow up? I grew up in Rose Bay. I grew up in Rose Bay, North Bondi. Oh, fabulous. So that's a great area to go to. Yeah. What's the first thing that you remember about arriving in Australia? It was raining really heavy. So what was it? We had leaks in the house. The storms were like, we had, yeah, it was just, that's what I remember. I think we arrived on a Sunday and I think the Monday, like, you know how 
we don't probably get this in France, but when it rains in Sydney or Australia, it rains. I remember last year when we had some really heavy rains, it wouldn't stop and it would just go hard. Um, and that's probably the first thing I remember was just, oh my God, this doesn't stop. And it was just like leaking everywhere in the apartment where we were staying. That's probably the first thing. And then the second thing for me was schooling. I arrived on Sunday and Monday morning, my parents took me straight to school. So not a word of English, just had to sort of adapt, if that makes sense. Um, my brother, who's four years older, he went to an international learning school to learn English, probably in a right way. I just got thrown in. He'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, and to be honest, I think I was I was probably the first one to speak English in the family of the four of us. So maybe it was for the better. <laughs> uh, Seb, by listening to you, I can uh, hear that you speak Australian, I would say, over speaking English. I just uh, loved the, some of the Australianisms you just gave us then before. Um, and I actually say that that's my mission here, is not to teach the, Fr- is not to teach the French English, but to teach them Australian. Um, uh, at home, your mum cooked. Uh, did she continue to cook in Australia French food or did she change things up? Were you having lamingtons at home or were you uh, sticking with the tarte de fraise? No, look, obviously we did eat a bit of French food at home, but knowing Australia, they're very multicultural. We really fell into that love of Asian food, Chinese, Thai, even Japanese. And when we, you know, if my parents were to go out for dining before we go to like Golden Century or a Japanese restaurant or a Thai restaurant, I think my probably my parents would have preferred eating that rather than French. Um, like if I even if I go back home to France, like my dad would probably be doing something a bit spicy or just he. They really love that multicultural sort of food. Like if I say to my dad, let's go have a Peking duck, he'd be so happy because he probably misses it living in France again. Why did you, so we, we talked about it before, but is was that the main influence, your father working in patisserie? Was that the reason that you got into being a chef, do you think? Yeah. Look, I think growing up, obviously, I have always have a, a big passion for food and especially eating it. I think I hated school. I did not like school. And my parents said, well, if you want to leave school, you've got to find a job. I said, okay, I'm going to do something with food. So um, I was always surrounded by food. So I think it just naturally just came um, along with it with the journey even like I remember at home like I've got a, I've got two kids my my son's 11 my sister's I say to him I said oh at 11 I was already cooking a few dishes for my parents or we we were every Monday we were tasked to cook a meal for uh, for our mum so me and my brother would get in the kitchen read a few recipe books and then just cook some food for her every Monday so from a young age um I was been around food and cooking Great. You moved back to France at the age of 19. Uh, I can't pronounce it, but it's the Isère, I-S-E-R-E? Isère, Isère. Isère. Is that sort of the Alps? Uh, yeah, it's not far from the Alps because the Alps is probably an hour, an hour and 15-minute drive, so it's not far from the Alps, right? And it's not far from Valence, so it starts going to the south of France. Nice region. Very, yeah, very nice region. How long were you there for? So I did three years in that region in Vienne. Then I um, I moved to, to London for another year, and then I moved to Dijon to do an opening for another two years. 
where, where I lived in Dijon. I lived in Dijon, but I worked in a place called uh, uh, Bussière-sur-Rouge. So just in between Bourne and Dijon. Bourne is one of my favourite places uh, in France. It's just fantastic. And uh, it just has that wide range of like you've got the, of course, there's the hospice there and you've got the wine of that region, but also there's amazing truffles around there, the 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 gingerbread or the spiced bread, uh, the pan de pisse and the, the, um, uh, and the mustard. Yeah, and oh indeed, my gosh, the that's mustard. what I loved about each region is they've all got some specialties. Like, you know, you live in Burgundy, everyone's got to have beef bourguignon or, as you said, it's penny pieces is massive there. Um, it's great. And the cheese, you, you know, you've got some cheeses that just specialise in that area, which um, there's that's some of the things I do miss from France. It's like they're very particular in some areas, which I love. What was it like to be back in France? When you were, because you're still, you're still only young when you went back there at 19. What was that like? Yeah, to be honest, was, first six months was extremely hard. So, yes, I'm French. I speak French. I used to speak French at home, but working in the French kitchen and you know you've done an apprenticeship in Australia, the technical terms is probably said or described a certain way. When you go into a French kitchen that is very professional, I really struggled. I struggled probably for the first six months. Like I thought every single day, I thought I was going to get sacked <laughs> um, because I, I, no, because I was, I was struggling. I was struggling with the language and just struggling with the skill set. Like the skill set was not, next to very different. I came from Tetsuya's at the time where it was a very different technique to the French and the way the French work in the kitchen. It's very, you're a demi-chef or you're a commie. That's how it works. Like you only did a few things. I um I really struggled with that for the first six months. Um, but you know, you just I just battled through, and I lasted three years in that kitchen. I did all the sections, and um, yeah, like I've you've got to push through and um see where you can get out of. And I think I did that, so, which was great. Seb, so you mentioned that you struggled with the language. I want to know: Do you you speak French at home? Do you speak French with a French accent, or do you speak it with an Australian accent? No, when I go back to France, I'll for about a week, I'll have a little bit of an Australian accent, but then I'll suddenly I'll go back into I'll speak fluent and the accent will be fluent again. Like you just get used to it, and I just I, yeah, I'm I'm okay with languages. It sort of it comes back into mind, and I do speak. Uh, I've got that little bit of that French accent again. Oh, that's my biggest problem is my Australian accent. Uh, it gets me into all kinds of trouble. People, I can say the same word 10 times and people still don't get it. Uh, and then they'll say it back to me and say, that's exactly what I said. You know, anyway, we won't talk about that. I really struggled with uh, two So they're like the big chef, the head chef. I'd be saying two and everyone would look, no, you don't say that to the, to the chef. You say woo. And he just turned around and laugh at me because he didn't actually mind. But it was just like, oh, no, I struggled with that. Obviously, I think, you know, for the English languages, explaining there's two and vous, I think vous for the people that you don't know. It's just the respect. Two is for your friends or, your, you know, your family. Um, yeah, saying two to the head chef wasn't great. <laughs> Uh, Seb, I always ask about food heroes uh, of my guests and I'd like to deep dive into yours because I think they're all pretty fabulous and I'd like to find out more about them. So first up, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher their names, uh, the French, uh, they're all French, but uh, Fernand Point, Point? 
Fernand Point. Fernand Point, or it is Fernand Point. There you go, I did go right. Um, who is, uh, who was Fernand Point? So when I worked in Vienne at the pyramids, this was actually Fernand Point's restaurant before he, when he passed away, obviously someone else obviously took it. It was always called the pyramids. So Fernand Point was a famous French chef. I think he held three stars for over 33 years. He's the one who trained the Bocuse, the Trois Gros. He was pretty much the culinary, the start of the culinary um, thing in France, really started it really high and everyone sort of went and worked underneath him. So from my perspective, obviously having worked at the Pyramid, I got to learn a lot more about him. I, heard some, I, had, I actually heard some really good stories as well, but he was really a character, but a really great chef as well. So. Obviously for me, I think, he, you know, I've got heroes that are obviously in the past, but also people who are current. Um, for me, Fernand Point is probably one of the um, biggest heroes, if that makes sense, like someone you just look after. And what kind of food was it that he was cooking? It, it, it was classic French, yeah, quite technical. He was the one that created the volaille en vessie, which is chicken in, in a pig's bladder. He, he had a few signature dishes that people still currently cook, if that makes sense. Like you've got, he used to do the uh, turbo champagne, which is like the sabayon and champagne in the sabayon and glazed under the salamander. And that's one of his famous dishes. A good story to tell you, like, so he was a big drinker and in the kitchens, he used to ask the sub, can you uh, get me three bottles of champagne so I can make the sabayon? He'd take the champagne, drink the champagne and just put white wine. So he used white wine in the sabayon. And he used to call it uh, turbo champagne. Um, but he used to just drink the, the champagne himself and use white wine in the in the cooking. So there's a story for you. Well, if he puts in that he drank it in the recipe, it's still part of the recipe it. then, isn't it? That's right. Drink one bottle. <laughs> right. Sounds like he was a bit of a character. Uh, you, Your second one is Paul Bacuse, who uh, I just loved. Um, I had the privilege of dining at Bacuse, the that restaurant have you been there have you dined there and did you actually get a chance to meet him yeah I, i've met him several times obviously i've met him we did the birthday uh, like a celebration of fanon point he came down ducasse came down so i've got a few times met him a few times but three years ago just before covid i i ate at the restaurant i think it was the year before they lost the star too so so i amazing amazing technically and he's from Lyon, so he's quite close to where I'm from. So French food being a love of mine since forever. What was he like when you met him? Oh, look, at the time in France, he he was very good. The, the times I met him, he I've actually got a few photos of him as well, but the times I met him, he was really good with young people. He was very inspiring. He, he, he'd, he'd motivate you when he talks to you. He was very inspiring. That's probably the best way I can describe him. Alan Decasse, he started his career at a young age, like yourself. He was 16. In 2012, he held an astonishing 21 Michelin stars. That's the only person at the time to have more was Joel Rubichon, who had 31. That's just amazing. It's, uh, It's amazing working in French kitchens. When I was in, in France, you even have, like, you say you, you're from the school of Ducasse or from the school of Robichon. He, they brought up so many people. Any great chef, you go, oh, what school you're from? And they say, oh, Ducasse or Robichon. There was just two heroes. And 
in in all the restaurants in France, like someone big would have worked underneath them, and that's the, that's your schooling. Let's go. What type of what type of school did you go? Was it Robichon or Ducasse? That's the way they get described in in the in the culinary world. How does a person? I mean, so many people, so many talented people, struggle to get one Michelin star. What do you think it was about him uh, that you know he was able to get so many? He's at twenty one. Ah, look, I, I just, he's from my understanding, from what I know of him, that he's, there's a there's a perfectionist in that person. And everything they do, it just it's it's perfect. You can still see it in his restaurants he currently has or the brands he does. There's an element of quality that is just always perfect. Like I love reading his cookbooks. Everything in there is like, oh wow, it's just so technical, but it's everything's so beautiful and perfect and neat. Um, for me, it's just a full per- perfectionist. Finally, the last food hero that you mentioned of the four is uh, Jean-Francois Beige. Did I get that correct? Piège, Piège, Jean-Francois Piège. Who is he and why is he one of your food heroes? So, look, at the time I was in France, I think he was he was actually working under Robichon for a long time, then went on his own. And I remember when he went on his own, he was working, I can't remember which hotel, he worked in a hotel in Paris. And he just got two stars straight away. I, I went to eat there a few times and I just fell in love with his food. He's, he's now... He's in T. He's on TV yeah. now. He's Top well chef. in France. He's quite big. He's got a few restaurants. Got a, Top Chef. That's right. Yeah. He's um got a lot of cookbooks. I just love what he does, and he's got an element of simple simplicity, but also that perfectionist from Energy Cast that I love. You see, you know, he does some cookbooks where a lot of his recipes are really homely of what you would cook at home, but just executed and go, oh wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Um, so these these are kind of things that attract me to him. On you've mentioned a few times Joel Rubichon in there. Uh, Joel Rubichon actually, I'm um, looking out the window, and the Hotel Dieu in our town is on the hill uh, from the window here, and uh, he actually went to school there. Oh, did he? And yeah, they're actually turning it into a project. They're turning it into a hotel. Of all of those food heroes that you've mentioned, and people like Joel Rubichon. Uh, if you had to pick one thing that all four of them would have in common, what would that be? I think I already know, but yeah, what would that be? I, I look, I think they're all perfect uh, perfectionists. I'd, I'd say. And do you think you are? Is it something you strive to do? Something you strive to do, I think, as a chef, just naturally, because the issue. I think I, the more I work around myself and food, perfection sometimes can be a, a weakness or a default because you're always striving for better. So you might create a dish, which is great, but then you keep changing it, changing it, changing it because you're always looking for perfection. So these are the good points that also can be negatives, I find. But for me, you know, if you look at those four chefs I just talked about before is there was a, they were at a certain level, they were at the top of their game and they sort of made history in the French culinary world. You know, you can... There's dishes that will always be renowned for Fanon Point. There'll be dishes that's always renowned for Paul Bocuse, same for Ducasse, and same same will be for Piège. and then been around as long. But, yeah, I think those, those elements what makes it all the same. I wonder what it is that stops them and goes, you know, for example, that sea brim dish, when did he go, when did Bocuse go, right, that's the dish. And so that's just going to be on the menu for another 20, 30 years. 
Um, I mean, he probably doesn't know that when he created it, but, you know, what makes him stop and go, yes, this is the perfect dish? For me, I think that's probably from customer feedback. People saying to him constantly and constantly, don't change it, don't change it, because you, you get guests telling you, oh, that dish is amazing, do not change it, don't take it off the menu. Then you get left with all these dishes that you can't take off the menu as well. But I think the guest would be the first person to, to be able to say, don't touch it, this is perfect. <laughs> Seb, you're now back in Australia. Uh, you uh, do French food in Sydney. Tell us about the restaurants that you're running now. So in Sydney, we currently have three venues. One of them is called uh, Lulu, which has a bistro, a boulangerie, and a tetel, which is more just more in your neighborhood area. So you've got that retail, we call it a retail store that has the boulangerie and the tetel together. So you can come in in the morning, get your croissant, coffee, and walk out. Or in the, during the day, you can come in and get a baguette, some parfait, some pâté en croûte, or roasted chicken. It's designed for people to just come in and out. Next door, we have a bistro that's open seven days, lunch and dinner, and it's French food. But what I've been able to do here is just, I think French food in Australia was seen as quite heavy and rich. And probably about 10 years ago, the French dining scene sort of died out in Sydney and the Italian came out. Sydney goes through scenes of, you know, trends of, of so. Probably when we opened this, I said, that's one thing I said, I said, let's just, let's do really good French food that's tastier, but let's not make it heavy or rich. Um, and that's really been a positive of, of Lulu. I think uh, we've been able to keep that. We also have a restaurant called the Charles Grand Brasserie and Bar, which is in the city, uh, corner of King and York Street. Uh, that's more based around the European Grand Brasserie. Um, we have, we do, we've got a couple of signature dishes like we do a duck à la presse uh, using the old technique. Um, we do a fair bit of table side service, fillet fishes at the table, do steak tartare at the table, um, and we've also got uh, like a dessert trolley that goes that roams the room, and people can choose what they want. There's probably at least 14 items on there, um, from large cakes to medium sort of a financiers or madeleines to maybe some chocolates and petit fours. Um, and then we've also got a venue called Tiva, which is a, a lounge bar with live entertainment. And we do like a sort of smaller sharing food downstairs there. So there, there are three venues that we do. Right. I mean, some of the best French food in Australia is in Sydney at the moment, can I just say, which is great, I think, because, you know, being somebody from Sydney, I've also lived in Brisbane and Melbourne. And I do think it's like you said, I think that Sydney sort of changed. It had phases. And, you know, there were times when the best French restaurant in Australia was in Brisbane. And then there was times it was in Melbourne. But I do think that there seems to be a whole French scene there. Why do you think that is? Why is it that Sydney suddenly embraced French food? Look, I think now, I think there's always been a love for French food. But I think the reason it's come out a bit more in the last two or three years, I, I feel it came at first during COVID when people weren't able to travel and the Australians love to travel to Europe, love to go through France. And maybe there was a miss of like dining or drinking like the French do and drinking French wine and eating that French food. That love of traveling sort of wasn't able to be had. So as soon as COVID sort of 
finished, all these French restaurants opened, these bistros, even brasseries, like at the moment, lots of brasseries are opening. I think it's just the, the concept and the simplicity of the way you're eating and still being able to drink some, some great wine. I think it really works for the Australians. This one's going to be a hard one, I'm sure. What's your favourite dish of all the dishes that you have on the menu? Oh, it is hard. Look, at Lulu, at Lulu we've got a Saint-Pierre, which is a John Dory. We, we sort of stuff it with a squalid mousse and it's wrapped in spinach and served with a champagne and caviar sauce. That's probably one of the favourites at Lulu and it's this big signature. And I think at the Charles, the, the duck is probably one of the, one of the favourites there. It's, you know, we, we, we dry age it for 14 days to get a really creepy. We use a technique similar to what how people would do picking ducks, but we use French ways of doing it. So, yeah, I think we were able to bring out a really good duck dish there. So a couple of two dishes I'm really proud. I can't pick one, but those two are probably the big ones. How does the, the food, the produce that you cook with in Sydney differ from the ones that are available in France, do you think? You know, if you were to ask me that question five years ago, I would say Australia is quite behind. But these days, I, look, to be honest, apart from having different things that's not available in Australia, I think from a produce and quality point of view, we can get the same quality and can get different things just as good as what we can get in Europe if it's France or UK or anywhere else. Obviously, you know, languistines in, in France are very different to languistines in Australia. But we've got our things that are amazing. So I think any... Great produce. I think we've able Australia's been able to, to to source and farm certain things that are just as good as what you can get in Europe. You mentioned that your mum, that your parents are back here in France. When you come to France, what's the first thing you do when you come to France? Sort of want foie gras or frog legs. Probably <laughs> two things I can't get here: <laughs> fresh foie gras and frog's legs. That's a good one. Yeah, just I just I don't know just. You just toss them in flour and pan fry them in garlic butter. So good. Oh, okay, I think I might have to do that because I haven't had frog's legs. Well, actually, I haven't had frog's legs since our year eleven, ex- no, year ten excursion to a French restaurant in Sydney as part of our French class. So I must get onto that. I need to have some frog le- frog's legs. Seb, finally, the question that I ask everybody that's been on Fabulously Delicious, uh, what to you is the most fabulous thing about France? Look, I think the passion of the French, they're very passionate about saying if it's wine or anything that you can talk about, there's an extreme passion for it. I think that's the thing I miss probably the most. When, you know, if I go to a winery in France, like these guys could talk to you for hours and hours and hours about their passion. I'm not saying we don't get that in Australia. I just think there's an, an, another level of passion in France that, um, is, for me, there's not many countries like that. Seb, we could talk for hours and hours and hours about French food, I am sure. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, if our listeners, people listening in, uh, in Sydney, I am sure they'll go and uh, dine uh at the restaurants. Can you tell us where to find them? In the internet, uh, on social, which is uh, Instagram or yeah, Instagram. Um, yeah, website, which is, uh, we've got three websites, one's for Lulu, 
um, a child's membrosary on a website and then Tiva also. Great. I'll put all the links in those uh, in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Seb, thank you for that. And hopefully uh, we'll either see you in Sydney or the next time you're in France, come and visit us in uh, Montmorillon and uh, um, we'll cook up some frog's legs. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. That'd be great. Seb, thanks for joining me on Fabulously Delicious. Thank you. That's it for another episode of Season 3 of Fabulously Delicious. If you like this episode, or if you know somebody who should be listening to Fabulously Delicious, then please share it around with your friends and family, and colleagues even. Thank you for listening, and remember, you know what my motto is, whatever you do, do it fabulously. Merci beaucoup, and bon app. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.